Hey, a good good morning to you all there in Awaken Church back in Upper Heart. Um, hello from me, I'm Paul Burton, and uh, I'm just sharing the Word of God with you this morning. We're continuing to look in Galatians. We're going. We've already had a reading. We're going to look more closely at the verses ten to twenty-four. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen that this gospel is God's rescue plan. He's come to rescue us from this present evil age. And, and what's evil about this age is believing a lie as truth. There's all sorts of consequences. Whenever you believe a lie as a truth, you bring yourself into the curse, into death, because the lie cannot produce life. The lie cannot bring about the good of good at any level. And so God is looking to rescue us from believing lies as truth. And according to scripture, the devil is always conspiring and working to twist the truth so that we'll believe a lie. But we, we're being rescued in Jesus Christ. And what we discover is that the rescue plan is a person. The person of Jesus Christ. It's coming into a, not just into a, a transactional relationship with a person, but it's like becoming one with Jesus, coming into this relationship with Jesus. It's like we're one with him, we're in him, he's in us. There's something mysterious about it, but it's very real. And who he is begins to shape who we are. And we begin to discover ourselves in him, discover how we relate to people in him, discover how we relate to God the Father and to the created world in Christ. And the rescue plan is the person. And the devil's always out to twist and distort the gospel. So we believe things about Jesus, but not just Jesus. And to add to Jesus, to twist it, um, to take some of the things that we just trust him for and to take responsibility for them ourselves. And it's always a lie. I'm responsible to cling tightly to my faith in Christ, to do one thing, to stay in place. I had devotion to Jesus, to stay walking with him. And so we saw that last week. You might want to go back and listen to those messages if you're not too sure what I'm talking about. But today in Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 10 to 24, the, the latter part of the chapter, we see Paul is starting to look to his own journey. The writer is Paul, the apostle, starting to look to his own journey to defend his gospel, to, to make his point. And so we're just going to look at those verses um, and go through and just look at them and pick up three words, revelation, responsibility, and accountability. Revelation, responsibility, and accountability. So you're ready to go. Now, before we do, I've got to do something because I'm wearing my reading glasses. These aren't uh, prescription glasses, and I need them to see myself clearly in the screen. And I noticed last week without them, I was squinting a little bit. So I'm going to wear some glasses. But I bought some other ones because I'm wondering which ones look the best. So you can give me some feedback. Uh, do you like these glasses? Or do you like looking at me with these glasses? So I'll leave these on for a while, then, then maybe change back. Um, that's how it is. So here we go. Revelation, responsibility and accountability. God's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and our rescue plan. So verse 10, Galatians 1 verse 10, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
I'm devoted to one, not many, not many, one, Jesus. When I um, worked for the Anglican Church in Nelson, uh, 2020 to 21, I uh, was the minister in charge of the Victory Community Anglican Church. And I'm not an Anglican, I'm not a, an ordained priest, and I've never been in an Anglican uh, church and worked in an Anglican church in any way, shape or form. But I found out some things that, that I thought weren't too bad. One was I found I worked for the bishop. And I served the bishop. And my first responsibility was to the bishop, not to the congregation. Now, the bishop sent me there and placed me there and entrusted me to be a faithful minister of the gospel to that congregation. But I served the bishop. You see, in the same way in the gospel, we serve Jesus, one master, one Lord, one father. We serve our father in heaven. And he asks us sometimes to do things with people and to serve people, but we do it before God. We, we just have to stop trying to please people. I'm, I'm changing glasses now. I've got a feeling these ones um, come across a little bit better, but you let me know what you prefer. Um, stop trying to please people. Somebody needs to open your heart right now. You need to hear me say these words as if the Holy Spirit was speaking to you and he's saying to you, stop trying to please people. Stop it. Just right now, make a decision to stop it. You might not think you can do it, but you can choose to do it and you can trust the Holy Spirit to help you do it. You are not here to make other people happy. You're not here to gain their pleasure. You're, you're here to live before God and to worship him and to trust him with your life and to please him. Christians are devoted to one person, not many people. In First Kings chapter 13, we read a story about a guy called King Saul. And, and King Saul had um, with him at that time, said with him and Jonathan, they had between them 3,000 men who had gathered around them as like a small permanent army in Israel. And at this time when they had their army, um, the, the Philistines, the, the neighboring people, rose up against them. And it says the Philistines came up against Israel with 30,000 30, chariots. 6,000 horse soldiers and, and the troops on the ground, foot soldiers, you know, more than, like the sand on the sea, uncountable. And so here's Saul and, and uh, Jonathan and 3,000 troops. It says some other Israelites were called up, but it doesn't say how many came, facing this, this overwhelming army. And not only that, we're told later in the chapter that amongst all of the Israelites, there was only two swords, one, two, because they, the Philistines had been oppressed them and had not allowed them to have weapons. And uh, so they only had two swords. I don't know what the other troops had, sticks and stones, no swords, you know, farm implements. And so they're facing overwhelming odds. This seems to be the way God works with his children over and over again, isn't it? Lead us into situations where we're facing overwhelming odds. So we have to learn to trust him and not ourselves and not our world. And so here they are. And, and Saul is waiting to hear a word from God. And in his day, 
Samuel the prophet was the way God spoke to his people. This is before these days. These were before the days when the Holy Spirit had come to speak to people's hearts. So he'd come and he was speaking to the nation through Samuel. There would have been exceptions, I'm sure. And Saul is waiting to hear from God. While he's waiting, the people are afraid and they're terrified and they're slipping away. The numbers are dropping. People are going off into hiding. People are going off as refugees to other places. They see this overwhelming army that's broken into three troops and they're running and hiding and getting out of that place. And Saul is anxious about this. So he does something to please the people. He does something to try and keep the people from scattering. He has a burnt offering and he offers us up to God. It seems strange that this is so serious, doesn't it? Even how we serve God is to please God and not people. Even how we offer up our lives to God is to please God and not to impress or please people. And Samuel then arrives at the end of this burnt offering and he, he just gives, says, so what have you done? This is not good. This is disobedience. This is a lack of trust in God, a lack of faith in God. You are doing things to please people and not to please God. God is going to remove the kingship from you. He can't leave you in a place of trust when you don't trust him. Listen to that. He's saying, Saul, I can't leave you in a place of trust as my appointed king over my people when you don't demonstrate trust in me, your God. And now you did something to please people because you're showing you have more faith in what people can bring to you than you have in what I can be to you. So come on, this is deep. Don't do things to please people. Stop it. And he lost the kingship at that point. Come on, we have to stop it. We need to be believers who let our yes be yes and our no be no. We don't say yes when we want to say no. We say no when we want to say no. And I want to let you know, from my perspective as coming in as a new minister, I want to let you know, I know that you have no power to say yes unless you feel the freedom to say no. So if I ask you anything at any time, I want you to feel the freedom to say no to me and that, that your yes is from your heart. It's your decision. It's you're responsible for it. You say yes, and you carry that yes before you and God, not before you and me. Okay, sometimes I've found when I first said no, the Holy Spirit has come along and led me to go back and say yes. One example, the first one probably was when I was a new believer and I went to Bible college and I'm studying to be a preacher and the pastor of the church I attended asked me to preach at a Sunday night service. And I said to him, no. I said no, because when I looked at myself in a mirror, I didn't see that I could preach. I didn't see the capacity, ability, or the person who could be a preacher. But I knew God had spoken into my heart, but it hadn't got into my mindset. And I still didn't see a preacher. So... So that week we had some special meetings at college and visiting speakers there. So we had some night meetings and one night I'm in one of these meetings and I, and I had one of these conversations with God. I've only had a handful of these in 40 odd years and I felt like he was just there talking to me. And it's like this, my mind, not, not outside my mind, but in my mind, it's like I heard him say, Paul, why are you in Bible college? And, and I said, well, God, you called me to preach. So I'm here, you know, to train to be a preacher. And then after that, there's a pause. And then I'm just hearing again that pastor asking me, can you preach for me next Sunday night? And myself say no. 
And I realize I have to go back and say, hey, if you still would like me to, the answer is not no, it's yes. But I owned that yes before God, not before that preacher. He is the benefit of my walk. You know, my saying yes to him is a response of my saying yes to God. So all our yeses to people, we want to own before God. We're not trying to please people. Reading on from verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Are you hearing what the Spirit is saying to your heart? That the gospel of Jesus Christ that we receive, preach, and testify of is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation. There's that word I said. This is about revelation, responsibility, and accountability. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. What, what he's saying is, the eyes of my heart were opened to see something about Jesus Christ that I had not previously seen. It's like I was blind, but now I see. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He said, I was the best of the best. You look at all my generation, I was the best at scriptures. I was the best at theology. I'd studied harder. I had learned more and I was more zealous. I had more arguments. I had more debates. I demolished more people of my arguments. Even killed some people because they didn't believe like I believed. He says, this is who I was. And I did this to please the traditions of my fathers. I did this to get the approval of people, of my society, that all the culture of Judaism would say, look at him, look at that man, he's the best of us. And I would be pleasing the traditions of my fathers. But when God, he says in verse 15, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. And he said, but something personal happened to me. And we know it, it's in Acts 9. You can go read it. Paul had a personal encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And I want, I want to say to you, all of us got to realize this is personal. This is personal to Jesus. Your salvation is personal to Jesus. You were in his heart when he died on that cross. He saw many sons and daughters coming into the kingdom of God when he died. It's personal to Jesus for you to be rescued from this present evil age by his gospel. But it's also personal to me. It's a personal revelation in my heart. I come to know Jesus. Paul, who was Saul, who became Paul, came to know Jesus. This is how the gospel works. God shines it into our hearts. It's personal. It's this revelation. I mean, Paul could have been one of those Pharisees that Jesus was talking to in John 5, 39 and 40, when he's saying to them, oh, come on, you Pharisee blokes, you study the scriptures to try and to find out how you can have eternal life. 
but you reject me whom they testify of. He said that these old scriptures, Genesis all the way through to Malachi or Malachi, is testifying of me. And here I am and you don't see me. And Paul was like them at that point. But then God shone his light. God, came, Jesus came to him. And he saw, oh, this is who the scriptures are talking about. I mean, we read in, in Luke 24, these, these two disciples going down the road to Emmaus. They're in despair. They've left the crucifixion of Jesus. He's gone into the tomb. They've heard a story that maybe he's alive, but who knows? But they're in despair. And this person comes and walks with them all the way and they tell him what's going on. And then he begins to, it says Jesus, who was this person, begins to show them from scriptures, from Moses, from Genesis, all the way through the prophets, how they spoke about him. We didn't get anything there. Then a little bit later, they're having dinner and he breaks the bread. And the eyes of their hearts were opened and they thought, this is Jesus. This is revelation. We, we, yes, it's all scriptural, but it's, it becomes alive in our heart. It's like that which was written in the book is by pens is now written in our heart by the Holy Spirit. It's like the principles of the gospel that we may have learned in growing up somewhere or in children's church or Sunday school or their parents' home. They actually become personal in the person of Jesus Christ. We become followers of the person of Jesus Christ from our heart. It's heart to heart. It's person to person. It's a revelation and it's personal. It's not of human origin. It's not of human origin. It begins in heaven and the Holy Spirit shines it into our hearts. Nobody becomes a, a Christian without the Holy Spirit shining the gospel in our heart. It's a miracle. It's a revelation from beginning to end. 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6, I think when Paul wrote this, he's probably remembering his own experience. It says in their case, and he might have been able to say in my case, the God, because I could say it, in my case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like we were blind, the devil did his work to blind us, but a time came when God shone into our hearts and my heart heard it, received it, and something, and I came alive in the gospel. Luke 8, 15, the parable of the seeds. He says the seed that is sown in the good heart. It, it, that heart is the heart that hears it, retains it, and with perseverance holds on to it until it bears good fruit. This is how the gospel works. A seed of truth from heaven is revealed to our hearts. Somehow we hear it. When we hear it, we choose to hold it. That's faith. Then we persevere in holding it. That's faithfulness. That's our responsibility. And if we do that, that seed does its work and some fruitfulness begins to grow in us and through us. That's how the gospel works. It's not of human origin and it's not of human work. It's the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility, revelation, responsibility, our responsibility is to hold the seed, the revelation in our hearts. In First Peter 1, 23 to 25, we read this. This is, this is connected. 
since you have been, it says, born again. And, and I'm coming to see um, that, that sometimes that way of saying this word doesn't help us because the word is the word to be conceived from above. It's like a new life in me was conceived from above. Since the life of Christ was conceived in you, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Not, not by something that men told you, but by a revelation from God, by a work of the Holy Spirit, through the living and abiding word of God. Since you have been born from above, since the life of Christ has been conceived in you, in you as you are in me, not of a perishable seed, but of the imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This is like how revelation comes into our hearts. He says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of a grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Do you hear what he's saying? Our flesh withers and wastes away. But the revelation, the word of truth that's come alive in us goes from strength to strength. It, it remains forever. It grows. It goes back. God wants us to come back to eternity with him forever. That new person I am in Christ is growing. This is how the gospel works. This is how God grows us. We come alive. Like when I believe, it's like when Mary heard the word of God and she believed and the Holy Spirit came into her and conceived with an egg the life of the living Jesus Christ, who then was born as the incarnate word of God in the flesh. And, and in a similar way, when I have a revelation from God, the Spirit of God is at work within me. And when I believe and hold that revelation, he conceives that revelation in me, but it's just the seed of that revelation. It's just the beginning of it. And then it grows within me until it begins to be manifested through me. And it's the same for you. There's always a seed of truth that's revealed to us. There's always a time that we hold it in faith before there is that harvest of its fruitfulness, both within us and without of us. He who hears the word of God and retains it with perseverance shows fruit. There's an enduring here of holding on to the revelation. We have a responsibility to be faithful to that which we've heard. There's another point here. In, in a way, as I hear the word, as I start to believe the word, there'll be things in my flesh that need to die. See, I had a no in me to preaching the following Sunday because I didn't think I could. I'd never done it before. But I had to die to my no. It had to be on the altar with Jesus, on the cross with Jesus. Come and deny yourself, Paul, and take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Your feelings tell you you can't do this. You've never done it before, and you can't do this. You don't stand in front of people and speak in a church. But the word in you, the seed in you, the revelation of truth in you says you can do it. So I die to myself, and I live to my faith in the word of God. That's my responsibility. And I say, yes, I stood there that Sunday night. I prepared a message that part's not that hard, for, for it wasn't that hard for me. But I stood there, literally shaking. I, I, these big pulpits we used to stand behind and 
one or two times I've spoken at Awaken You Notice, I don't stand behind a pulpit these days, um, but there's a long journey behind that. Those days I stood behind a pulpit and I hung on to it and I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else because I, I literally remember shaking from the nervousness but all I was being there for is the obedience to Jesus. I wasn't there to please the people. I wanted to give them a good word. I wanted them to get something out of it. But my only goal was to be pleasing to God, to say yes to him. That's my responsibility. And as I do, there's always a no to me. It's like I'm on the altar of Jesus going up in smoke as the new life he conceives of me is growing from strength to strength. And it's the same for you. We are responsible to be faithful to the revelation that God speaks into our hearts. And then we find accountability. Accountability. There's revelation. That's how God speaks to us. That's how the gospel works. He wants to shine his light into our hearts. You don't believe this message because I say it. You believe what the Holy Spirit testifies to your heart. You go and see it in scripture for yourself and you get it into your heart. And now you're responsible to live like you believe it. To say yes to what God is saying, calling you to say yes to. To say no to what he's calling you to say no to regardless of how you feel and how and the nervous reaction within you. Yes, it's hard at times. And it doesn't matter if you struggle with it. It doesn't matter if you stumble with it, if you keep getting up again. I, I have no responsibility to perfect myself for God and to be perfect. But I have a responsibility to practice saying yes to God and practice believing God and practice trusting Him. And I trust Him to do the work within me of growth and perfection and maturing me as a son of God. But you won't grow up as a son of God if you haven't got a revelation of Jesus Christ in your spirit and you are not living responsible to cling tightly to that revelation and say yes to the things God is leading you, say, leading you to say yes to and no to what he leads you to say no to. I have responsibility and then there's accountability. In the last few verses we read in Galatians 1 beginning at verse 18, it says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. <clears throat> and they praise God. Because of me. You can read this in Acts chapter, I think it's Acts chapter 9, um, verse 26 to 30. You see, afterwards, this is, we see it in the history record. So Paul has this encounter on his way to Damascus. He goes to Damascus, and after a while, he leaves Damascus, and he says he spends three years somewhere, Arabia. And all he's doing, we don't know exactly what, what we think he's doing, is going through all that he believed all the scripture, and re-seeing it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seeing how he speaks, all the scripture speaks of Jesus. You see, I'm reading Genesis. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Oh, he said, let there be light in my spirit. 
and it male, he created the male and female. Male and female, he created them. And then he talks about how, how he received his wife and they were one and he began to see how and we were created out of Christ. He created Christ and then out of Christ, he created us. It begins with God, the origin is God, and then we become one with Christ. He begins to see the gospel all the way through the book. He sees the grace of God. See how God is there for all people. See how God saved Rahab and God saved Ruth and God. He saved these ones who were outside of the nation and He brings them into the story and He gives them significant places. And so He said, "Come on, in Christ, there's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no non-Jew. It doesn't matter. It, we're all one in Christ. We're all the same when we come into Christ." And He sees all this through the Old Testament. And, and he gets his gospel clear in his heart and in his head. And then he goes up to Jerusalem. And he goes and he meets some believers and it takes him a little bit. And finally Barnabas finds him because no one wants to talk to him because only four years ago he was killing people and putting them in prison for being believers. But Barnabas finds him and introduces him to Peter and James, and says James, the brother of Jesus, and the word brother, it, it doesn't mean literal brother necessarily, it's like his kin, his, he's like a brother Jesus or cousin. This is James, one of the twelve, and it seemed that he's possibly a cousin of Jesus, and uh, but he goes to Peter and James, who, who seem to have a leading role in the church, and he shares, 15 days he spends with them, sharing his gospel, sharing his story talking about his experiences. And Peter and them are saying, man, we, we blessed you. Here's the right hand of fellowship. We're in this together. We, we know the same Jesus. He said, accountability. Accountability. He submitted his experience and his understandings of the gospel to Peter and James, who were leaders within the church before him. He submitted his gospel to the body of Christ. He didn't hold himself apart or above others. And I want to tell you, I've been wrong. And the Holy Spirit has disciplined me and corrected me. And I'll be wrong again. My confidence is not in being right. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. My confidence for you is in Jesus Christ. I'm not calling you to believe in Paul Burton. I'm calling you to believe in Jesus. I'm not calling you to, to make me your primary source of truth and, and uh, the gospel. I'm calling you to, to get into the scripture and to see Jesus as your primary source of truth and gospel. And let the Holy Spirit reveal it into your heart. Then your faith is between you and him. But there's an accountability to one another that we submit what our experiences and our encounters and our understandings of truth to one another. And together we hold each other accountable because none of us have got the ability to do this perfectly by ourselves. So who are you accountable to? Who will you, who are you, who will you allow to speak into your life? Don't be too stubborn. Don't be too proud to admit that you can be wrong or could have been wrong even recently. And walk with people who you disagree with on some points, because one day we might find we do agree with each other. Because the Holy Spirit's at work with all of us. There's a submission. We, have a, we need revelation. It's personal. We're responsible for the revelation that we receive. And there's accountability to one another. Amen. I'm coming to the end now. It's going to finish up with two questions. Here's one. If this is really God's word, I believe it is, 
Do you believe it is? If this is really God's word, what changes do you have to make in your life because of this word? There's a question for you. What changes do you need to make in your life because of this word from God? The scripture. And second question, who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell about what God is speaking into your life? Both in the house of God and maybe not in the house of God. Who are you going to tell about what God is speaking into your life and doing in your life? The good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, I pray for all the people listening to me and awaken, people listening off their screens, the online world. I pray, Lord, that as I've been speaking, I know you've been working, Holy Spirit. You've been working the truth into lies. You've been teaching people. You've been convicting people. You've been doing your work of calling people to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in the freedom of the gospel, the peace of the gospel, the joy of the gospel. So I'm praying, Father, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in your church. And may we be a people who hear what the Spirit is saying to his church in these days and obey. Amen.